Hello again, friends of Carmel. It's great to be with you again today. We've got a very special program today because we have a very special guest. I'll introduce uh, Tracy uh, Baldwin, doctor, and Deacon, uh, I'm sorry, Jameson. Uh, Dr. Baldwin has been with us before. Uh, but first, let me reintroduce Francis Harry. Francis, how are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a joy to be here with you, and I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have tonight, and I'm looking forward to hearing what everything is, you know, how we're all going to be sharing tonight. Well, we have, uh, as guests, this program, as I just evidence, a, an abundance of deacons who like to uh, join our conversation, and we're blessed again to have Deacon uh, Tracy Jamison from the OCDS community in Cincinnati joining us this evening. Tracy is both um, a scholar, I would characterize a scholar, on St. John of the Cross, uh, and has uh, studied in detail this evening's uh, uh, program, which is the Dark Night, the Passive Night of the Spirit perhaps the most difficult of John's uh, um, explanations of the night, the fourth night. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Deacon uh, Jameson. Well, thank you, Mark. It's always good to be with you. Well, I want to jump right into the program, but before we do, we'll do what we always do at the beginning. Francis, would you mind leading us in prayer, please? Yes, I'd like to um, start with a prayer from Psalm 69. This is David's cry. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Save me, Lord, for the waters have come in, even unto my soul. I am stuck in the mire of the deep, and there is nowhere to stand. I have come unto the depth of the sea, and the tempest has overwhelmed me. I have labored in crying out. My throat has become hoarse. My eyes have failed while I hope in my God. Amen. 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 I want to just quickly set the um, um, backdrop to our conversation this evening, uh, both for uh, Deacon Jameson, who has not had the opportunity to join us in the previous conversations. Of course, Francis, you and I have been together. As we've gone through the four nights, we began, of course, uh, four weeks ago, I think it was now, with... Uh, St. John of the Cross, and did a biographical sketch so that we put him in context, both in terms of history and the spiritual movement. Yeah, because we uh, want to know who, we, who he is that who we're talking about. Who he is and who he was in relation both to uh, Teresa of Avila and, of course, uh, the significance he's had in Carmel. We then covered each of the nights, the active night of sense, which uh, basically we could characterize as what we can do to prepare ourselves through the ascetical practices, the passive night of sense, or what God does to help us achieve freedom from the passions, the active night of spirit, or what we can do to free ourselves from the self-created images of God, our defining God, our creating God, if you will, rather than acknowledging that God is our creator. And now, of course, we enter the fourth night, the passive night of spirit. And John very bluntly explains that this is the most challenging of the four nights. And if I can... Uh, Deacon Jameson, I'm going to ask you to reflect for just a moment on why John has that perspective. What is it about this night from a, from a sort of high-level perspective that makes it the most challenging? Well, it's the greatest union with God through love that's possible, and therefore uh, it, it entails accepting the image of Christ crucified. You literally are participating spiritually in the passion of Christ, and you are enduring uh, those sufferings as Christ endured them. Uh, So I would say it's the deepest spiritual suffering uh, that is possible for for a person to go through. And really only a few people ever go through it. Why is that? I want to ask why. Why do few people go through it? (laughs) Well, John of the Cross tells us that there are three basic reasons why why so few pass through the dark night of the Spirit. Although it is offered to to everyone, I mean, God is working for our perfection and the perfection of every human person. And so God wants to bring us to the higher degrees of love. But John and Teresa tell us that uh, for most people, uh, we lack something. And it could be a lack of knowledge about the spiritual life, It could be a lack of good spiritual direction, or it could be a lack of generosity in the spiritual life. 
So all three of those things have to line up in our lives for us to to accept this kind of cross. So first of all, we have to understand the spiritual life, and Teresa and John are doing us a great favor in describing that for us. And so when we talk about the dark night of the Spirit, you know, myself, I'm not talking about something I've gone through, because I haven't. I'm, I'm talking about what we read from them and the doctors of the Church and the lives of the saints, what, what it looks like and feels like. We know because they've told us and they've instructed us in this science of the saints, the spiritual life. And they have both been through this. So what they write to us is um, from their experience and their um, theological reflection, right? Yes, very much so. So we're very blessed to have their experience to guide us through the darkness when we begin to experience it. And we do enter into it at different times in our lives in in different degrees. But if we have knowledge, we still may not have the generosity that that it would take to enter into it fully. Well, where um, it, we've already talked about Teresa of Avila and the Seven Mansions in past programs. So where would we put this dark night, this passive night of the Spirit, which is the darkest night, where would we put that as far as uh, laying it out on the mansions generally? It definitely would take place in what Teresa calls the Sixth Mansion. And is this like a a one-time thing, or or how does this work? Well, each of the stages usually lasts many years, and from Teresa's own testimony, we know that she stayed in in each stage like 10 or 11 years, typically. So this is something that gradually would fall. You know, you would be experiencing kind of a high, kind of a plateau in your spiritual life, uh, in the fifth mansions, a union with God through love uh, infused in the will. And you would be enjoying that, but then uh, the dark night of the spirit would begin to fall, just as the dark night of the senses uh, fell earlier in your, in your journey. And uh, as, you, as you pass into that darkness, uh, it, it comes like a gradual incapacitation of your faculties. And, well, then and how would you know that you're you've entered this dark night of of the spirit? You would only know it indirectly at first. Uh, John of the Cross is very insistent about that. He has a great analogy that he uses. Uh, it's the analogy of the sunbeam. So this ray of contemplation shines in our soul, but we don't see it directly. We only see it because the sunbeam hits all these dust particles. So we see it by our imperfections. So the way it's experienced at first is that we have a greater awareness of our spiritual imperfections. And this is very difficult to take. So this ray of, of contemplation can only be known indirectly by its effects and by, and by our own imperfections as we're illuminated by it. Let's um, just quickly sort of cover the landscape of um, the, um, the experience itself, and, and I want to cover a few key points here at Deacon Jameson. We, we want to talk about the experience itself and what effect it has on the soul. You've begun that process. We should talk about the benefits. There are benefits here with regard to the illumination, and you alluded to that with regard to uh, where we begin to see the, the truthfulness of our uh, spiritual state and the condition of our soul. We, we struggle with that, but its illumination is important to us. The safety of this night, which I want to touch on before we finish, um, as regards its protection, both for the soul itself as well as against the enemy. And, of course, what does a soul do in this state? I think that's um, a, a critically important point for our listeners. I want to talk just quickly on these first two points, though, uh, you've already alluded to the fact that we may not be aware, Francis, your question. How will we know? Well, initially, Deacon Jameson, we don't know. And John says it's because the wisdom exceeds the soul's ability to understand it. We can't yet grasp as we enter this fourth, this darkest, this passive where God has taken over night. We can't yet understand what's happening to us. And in fact, perhaps the most prominent uh, manifestation of it 
is spiritual destabilization. Isn't that isn't that what we would most likely experience, uh, Deacon Jameson? Oh, absolutely. Uh, destabilized uh, and incapacitated, like being picked up by God and and thrown into purgatory on earth, basically. And uh, on earth, it would be sort of like being in the hurricane, right? And yes, having, absolutely. You know, be everything thrown apart. <laughs> Finding yourself powerless and and weak and and unable to function, and your your natural abilities and faculties are shut down. So what you previously had facility at, what you previously found delightful, now becomes empty and vain, and you you cannot enter into it at all. You, John of the Cross uses the comparison to what Job goes through, and uh, we could. Compare it also to what what Therese goes through uh, herself in her own life, what she calls the trial of faith, where she gets to the point where it's difficult for her even to think about heaven, and and this requires uh, a, a great a struggle to uh, practice the virtues of faith, hope, and charity consistently, because you're so tempted to despair. You don't despair. But you're brought to the edge and the brink of that. Right. Deacon, I want to cover um, uh, also this idea of the illumination and the challenge that that presents. This second point that John brings up is the pain is due not only to the fact that the wisdom exceeds our soul's ability to grasp, but also we do begin to recognize the baseness and impurity, his words, of course, the baseness and impurity of our soul. This is probably, in fact, according to John, it's the most challenging aspect of this phase of the journey of union toward God is the recognition of our condition as we stand before God. Yes, we're given a higher knowledge of God, and that illuminates uh, our own relation to God. And so we began to see uh, ourselves as we've never seen ourselves before, and we recognize things that uh, that in ourselves that others that others don't, and uh, we see we see that left to ourselves, uh, we we have this inclination to to betray our Lord, and uh, we feel that we would be uh, very much being treated justly if if God were simply to never return to us. So we're we feel as if we've lost God. And it's our fault, and and we deserve it. So I have to say, people out there, if you're identifying with this, uh, don't stop. You've got to keep listening, and we're going to persevere here. So uh, stay with us. Absolutely. Yeah, it begs the question. In fact, I was going to make that very point that if if you are listening or or uh, you've been exposed to the teachings of John in the past, you have to get to this point of the text and begin to wonder. Why am I continuing? Why Why do I want to continue on through this process? And, of course, the illumination, uh, Deacon Jameson, that you alluded to, and the purification of the soul is the reason. We don't yet know what union is like. We are, are unfamiliar with that experience. But we do know that we are feeling the departure of the last vestiges of the impurities that are part of our nature. God is digging at the very roots of what separates us from him. Of course, he's worked on us uh, in the passive night of sense. We've done what we could in the active night of spirit. But now, this is really the final stage, the final purification. And you uh, used the term uh, crucifixion. It, it is living Christ's very crucifixion. John uses this term, actually, in the dark night, uh, book 2, chapter 4, in the first uh, uh, verse, he says, poor, abandoned, and unsupported by any of the apprehensions of my soul, in the darkness of my intellect, the distress of my will, and the affliction and anguish of my memory. So now we're to the very core of the intellect, the memory, and the will being uh, overcome is the experience, but really it's being perfected. All of what impedes our union with God in the very nature of our being and in our soul, is being overwhelmed by the infusion of divine love. And that's where the pain comes in. Yeah, this is a, a like a, a clean sweep. 
an opportunity to have a reorientation of your mind and your soul. And so it, it, graces are coming, uh, but we're going to have to be able to get through this trusting that, that this purification is good. And along with it, though, is that illumination that somehow strengthens the love in the soul, right? It, it, it gives you the strength to, to keep going through these trials because if, if we were as weak as we were earlier in our journey, we would probably, you know, fall apart and go back and, and not proceed. But uh, isn't isn't there the love that's coming in that is subtle but is strengthening? That would be the primary benefit, that we are growing in virtue. We are growing in the theological virtues. Now, faith in the intellect and hope in the memory and divine love and the will are being perfected, and these are the perfections of our faculties. So this is definitely, the, the you know, this increase in virtue uh, happens in the spiritual life, the way it happens in the moral life, and the way it happens in the intellectual life. So the principle of no pain, no gain is, is, always, is always true and, and at work there. And now with the, these theological virtues, uh, we are becoming more and more like Christ. And it isn't all darkness. The darkness especially occurs at first, because when you first receive this infusion of loving wisdom, you receive it um, as incomprehensible, but the illumination is gradual, and the reorientation of your soul is gradual so that you begin to experience uh, an increase of joy. Well, isn't that sort of like this purging of your defects is like taking some of those dust particles out of that ray, right? That's right. Okay. You, you, you are purified of, of, all, of all that is blocking, and so that ray is shining with a greater and greater purity, and your soul is catching on fire, like, like, a, like a, a log that's thrown into a bonfire. Your, your soul takes flame and burns with the fire of God. So this process, it's, it's difficult, uh, but really it's the infusion of divine love. And, I mean, if I've got this correct, uh, this inflow of divine love really is just bestowing sweetness and delight, but we experience pain because of our baseness or our imperfections. Is that correct? Yes, that's what John says. He, you know, if we were, if we were purified already... This infusion of God's love uh, would not be received in a painful way. It would be received only uh, as delectable, as, as spiritually joyful and delightful. And each person is at a different point, and each p- person must be purified in a different way. So no two people go through the dark night of the Spirit in the same way. The purgation and the purification takes place according to what that soul needs. And that's one of the challenges. Obviously, many of the people who reach this state, we hope, they've either had some spiritual guidance or at least the advantage of reading spiritual texts, maybe John of the Cross himself. Uh, But John uh, also points out that in this condition, uh, the soul will find no consolation either in doctrine or in spiritual masters. And I think... um, this point you raise about the uniqueness of the individual experience for every soul means that no one's really going to be able to sort of walk you through this process or guide you and say, this is the next step, here's what you'll do now. There may be consolation in knowing um, uh, by somebody giving you direction that this sounds like the dark night, this sounds as though God is calling you to that deeper union, and there may be some... uh, uh, some consolation experienced through that, but there'll be no uh, consolation through the events itself or uh, by somebody uh, uh, trying to guide you through it. This really is very unique. Yes, it is, and very often in the dark night of the Spirit, uh, God permits the person to um, begin to experience a great deal of opposition, even from spiritual directors. So. You, you might find yourself getting no consolation from your spiritual directors at all, and that is, that is another aspect of, of the night. Uh, also, uh, sometimes you'll have an increase in physical illnesses, and many people experience uh, something very close to mental illness, 
in the dark night of the spirit. It isn't mental illness because it has a different cause. It's caused by God acting directly in the soul and his activity. But the way it's experienced and the incapacitation of the faculties that results from it often is kind of like mental illness. In just like the experience of the dark night, the passive uh, dark night itself, this conversation is going to go back and forth between, um, yes, there's struggle, there's trial, uh, there's darkness here, but there's also um, illumination, and, and there are moments of uh, respite, if you will. One of the encouraging things that John shares, and this is also, again, in the dark night, I should have pointed out that uh, this uh, um, entire a reflection of John's, the writings on the passive night are from The Dark Night, Book 2, Chapters 4 through 25. So all the references we'll, we'll allude to will be from uh, that section of The Dark Night. In The Dark Night, Book 2, um, Chapter 6 and Verse 6, he says, This purgation is what would have to be undergone in uh, purgatory. He actually uh, says that the soul will feel as though it's in hell. Uh, but in fact, the soul that endures it here on earth does not enter that place or is detained there for only a short while. So really, Deacon Jameson, John is telling us um, there is the opportunity to go through what we all must go through, this infusion of divine, divine love, this uh, cleansing, this purgation. There is the opportunity, even in this life, for us to go through that process that we've heard about since our, our youngest days in catechism class, uh, of experiencing our purgation and our healing and, and the infusion of divine love even in this life. Yes, that's one of the fundamental messages that comes across so strongly. And that really is the meaning of life from the Christian perspective. You know, life is not heaven. Uh, we've got a lot to suffer, but it's not hell either. All right? We don't lose hope. Life is purgatory. Life is being perfected by God. And we can definitely go through purgatory here on earth. In fact, um, it's preferable. So one of the benefits that people might think about uh, a little bit is um, that if we are perfected on earth through having to endure a lot of afflictions, um, we, we, will become, we will come into the presence of God in heaven much sooner. We don't have to go through purgatory uh, in the next life, if we've gone through it in this life. I think that should be all of our goals. Get our purgatory done on earth so we can go straight to heaven. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's wonderful. And if you shoot for heaven, at least we know we'll hit purgatory. But if we shoot for <laughs> purgatory, we might miss. So yeah, that's let's, always a problem. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's shoot for the top. <laughs> we have a mar larger margin of error there. Yes. Well, well John also says, of course, uh, part, part of the... Uh, additional part of the trial is that we will not, because we've gone through the active night of the sense, the passive night of the sense, we will not be falling back to those consolations that we used to seek. Every time that the spiritual life became difficult uh, prior to that uh, uh, phase, those three phases of night, we might easily fall back uh, on the consolations that we experienced in the sense world. And, of course, we won't be given that uh, opportunity here because we will already worked through that. Well, when we come back, I want to pick up the theme of how does suffering lead to love? Because it's a question I wrestled with for many years, frankly, until I came to John. And I think it's a worthy question for us to wrestle with. So how is it that this purgation, this trial, this darkness leads us to a perfection of love? And we'll pick up with that message as soon as we return.
Well, welcome back. Friends of Carmel, we are speaking this evening about John of the Cross's The Passive Night of Spirit, the fourth of the Dark Nights, the most challenging of the Dark Nights. And our special guest this evening is Deacon Jameson from the OCDS, or the Carmelite uh, Secular Order in Cincinnati. Um, I've asked uh, Frances, if she would, to just sort of put us in context by reading a little bit of John's poetry. If you're not familiar with St. John of the Cross and his poetry, uh, John's writings are, are largely built around his poetry, and so it's instructive, I think, to uh, be familiar with some of the stanzas in uh, this particular poem. Francis, would you read a couple of the stanzas for us? Right. This comes from The Dark Knight, and I'm going to read just the first two stanzas, because those are the two stanzas that the commentary for The Dark Knight is from. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, Ah, the sheer grace. I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled. In darkness and secure, by the secret ladder disguised. Ah, the sheer grace. In darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. Well, and we said just before the break that uh, we wanted to come back and understand a little bit this challenging question that we've sort of put ourselves in context. John has helped us understand the difficulty of this night, uh, the fact that we uh, feel this separation from God. Tracy, you said that uh, we may feel as though we've been placed in the sepulcher with Christ or John uses the analogy of being placed in the belly of the beast, uh, referencing Jonah and the whale. Uh, we feel this distance from God. We feel as though we may have offended God. We have great fear uh, that we've offended this great lover. We don't even feel uh, the uh, relationship to creatures, and you've alluded again, uh, Tracy Jameson, or uh, Deacon Jameson, to the uh, fact that uh, we will experience great difficulty in our relationships. We may experience great difficulty in a number of our relationships. And yet somehow all of this is leading us to love. And I'd ask you to reflect for a moment on how is this very difficult trial leading us to love? And I'll, I'll just caution uh, my own confusion on this topic years ago was, well, God's just continually challenging us and saying, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Do you still love me? And as the pain increases, uh, ostensibly our love increases. But, of course, that's not really what's happening here, is it? Well, mainly what's happening is the love that we're receiving is pure gift. It's a pure grace, and God is infusing his own love into our soul. And the difficulty is to enter into that to the point where we're actually loving the way God loves, because God's love is a divine love. It's not like human love. It's, it's a sacrificial outpouring love. It's a love that is not merely receptive to good. It's a love that is actually productive of good. Mm. So this, is, this is, requires a, a total reorientation of, of, uh, of the soul in order to enter into God's love at that level. And this is why it's so difficult, because we believe, we've been taught to believe, that we are responsible, if you will, for um, giving love and being patient and adopting the virtues, that we somehow have taken on that responsibility. But in this last stage where God's really working with us, you use the word a reorientation. It's so critical, because we now have to accept our shortcomings, our inevitable uh, uh, human nature, uh, limited as it is, is simply incapable of expressing divine love. So the only way that we can have that gift is to have it infused and to create a vessel that can accept it, which means everything that is not that has to go. So, so much of what may have brought us here, even in the spiritual life, as we discovered in the active night of the Spirit, uh, has to be dispensed with. Our perceptions, our images, our uh, created gods have to be dispensed with because the real God who infuses this divine love into our soul is waiting for the room to be able to do that. Yes, we must die. It's a death. We must die spiritually. But and that we means have the we resurrection die to everything that is not God. 
And I have to point out, though, for our listeners, but we have the resurrection to look forward to here. So don't forget <laughs> that. There's a good ending here. <laughs> now, you're jumping ahead to the living flame, which is next week. Well, so. I don't want us to get too dark here. You know? <laughs> like yes, you're right, light. Francis. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is the cross. It's nothing less than the cross, but the resurrection always follows. That's the joy. That's the Christian uh, hope that we can... Uh, uh, live in, and it isn't all darkness. All right, it's a it's a gradual enlightenment. It's a gradual entering into this new way of loving. It's a it's a deeper entering into the Trinity, and you receive what you're longing for. You you know you're denied uh, that participation, and that just becomes unbearable. But gradually. It increases, and God reveals himself more and more and more to the point where you will begin to see the operations of each person of the Trinity in your own soul. If we take, you know, if we go with what John and Teresa tell us, that is, li- that is literally what happens. Well, I think when the soul is advancing by suffering, we have to remember that that suffering gives strength to the soul, and that um, in suffering... Our virtues are practical and and they're acquired and purified, so that you know we're made wiser, we're made more cautious, and uh, as we're more convinced that this purification is the work of love, we should be more eager to welcome it. And I, I think that's where the saints really got a handle on welcoming suffering. They understood this. I think it's also important to point out, um, as I think you did, that Deacon Jameson, this is not an, uh, a weekend experience. This is not a bad fall. You know, this isn't the winter doldrums. This uh, likely, and John says, if it's to be efficacious, it must go on for years. And, of course, the years are both uh, a consequence uh, of the deformity of our soul, the impurity, the baseness of our soul, which John talks about. This is the human experience. But it's also uh, the fact that he is going to work with us patiently, lovingly, in a way that is unique and perfect for each individual soul. God isn't out to break us here. He's not trying to, uh, to, to distance us or to destroy us in any way. We need to go through the process of, on some level, a self-annihilation by recognizing our dependence on mercy and the desire is infused for that divine love. But God is trying to be very patient with us. Everything he's doing... John quotes uh, Jeremiah saying, even the lightest touches of God in, in the soul were, were very difficult for him, but it's love. It's not uh, pain that God's trying to infuse. It's love. It's our inability to receive it, as Deacon Jameson said earlier, that constitutes the pain and the, and the trial that we go through. And he's a jealous lover, so he's, he's bending down to our level and trying to pull us up. And um, that's part of what love is about the equality and the unity, just like in marriage. Yes, it, it's a scary kind of love in some way. And sometimes we may say, God, uh, if you if you treat if you treat your own son this way, and and all whom you love go through this, sometimes I wish you didn't love me so much, right? <laughs> but but it is part of God's love for us and we must trust him through the dark night in that and not begin to become bitter towards God and that's one of the major temptations is to mm-hmm. is to fall into a, a, a kind of bitterness but if we have a confident trust in God and we realize that this is coming from him and we are suffering it uh, as Christ did himself uh, and Mary especially uh, if we do that, then we then we understand that God is not going to give us any more than we can handle. And that's his promise, and he's not going to break that promise. So he will never give us more uh, than we can handle, and he will always sustain us with any consolation or help that we may need at any moment. Well, I have to remind our listeners, though, that we have to remember that God is our strength. And if we're thinking that we're going to do this on our own, that's not going to happen because... Uh, he wants us to know that that he is the one, right? Am I right on that? Yeah, and this is the stage, of course, we said at the beginning, that God has to do the work, and we can't do the work that's necessary in this passive night of the Spirit. We were uh, responsible for getting ourselves through the active night of sense, 
and through the active night of spirit where we began to uh, reconfigure, reorient our perception of God. But now, really, God has to take over. It's almost as though we've carried the cross up to uh, Mount Calvary, and now we've been placed on that cross. And there's nothing more we can do. We have to, we have to endure, but, but as uh, Deacon Jameson says, there will be these moments of light. There will be illuminations. There will be a deep and abiding consolations for the soul so that it knows, one, it's moving in the right direction, and two, that in fact it hasn't been abandoned, but this is a process that's necessary to go through. You know, before we broke, Francis, you said, I want to talk about uh, a prayer in this stage, and I think it's terribly important. And you talked uh, a moment ago, uh, Deacon Jameson, about um, the, the need to uh, not despair, not to become bitter, uh, but to stay in uh, contact with God, and I think this brings up the importance of prayer. What is our prayer like at this stage, through this difficult period? Uh, what counsel do you have as regards uh, how we engage in prayer? Well, the deeper we go into the contemplative life and into contemplative prayer, which which comes by infusion, by grace, it's not a technique at all, but the deeper we go into it, the simpler it gets. So at this stage, we're in that form of prayer that is the most absolute, simple form possible. And really, we're just acting and waiting for the impulses of God's love. And we're, we're being sensitized to His activity in our soul, and we're learning to move only when God directs us. So we're sensitive to his direction, and we're learning to follow God's lead in, in a way that, that we never uh, were able to before. Doesn't John say something about, this is not a time to be talking very much, but, but, but to put your mouth in the dust or something like that? <laughs> yes, we, we may end up just, you know, sitting on the ash heap for a long time like Job and, and not doing much of anything. Uh, and. We may find ourselves complaining sometimes, uh, but always waiting for God, always waiting for Him to reveal Himself in the whirlwind. And our eyes focused on Him, right? Yes, our eyes focused on God and realizing that uh, He is directing us uh, interiorly now. I I like to think of this stage um, of prayer for us is. Uh, how prayer becomes less of an activity. It's not something I set time aside for necessarily, though we still have to do that. But it it really uh, becomes a state of being. Prayer, our contemplative experience, must become a state of being. We have to be in constant uh, uh, consciousness. The, The Eastern Orthodox Church likes to use the word watchfulness. We have to develop a state of watchfulness. We're constantly waiting for uh, the direction of the Lord, the, the action of the Lord in our, in our souls, and we're uh, constantly in contact uh, seeking His guidance and certainly His love and accepting His purification at this stage. Yes, and He, he is making Himself known and His direction, so much so that even though we're going through this dark night, we, we sense that presence. So when we get up in the morning and our our mind clears and we say we're awake where is our mind at our mind is on god saying god are you there and we hear his voice we hear his presence there and we we may wake up each day for months at a time with with just not even wanting to get out of bed you know with with this 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 weakness and this incapacitation and and this overwhelming anxiety that John of the Cross talks about that is debilitating. And yet, is, and yet God is there each day and each morning saying, come on, let's go. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to do this for you. I will be your strength. But when you say you're getting up and you're going to hear his voice, explain what you mean, because some people might be thinking really audible voice, and I don't think that's what you mean, right? Well, there are extraordinary favors that people sometimes receive. For example, uh, Teresa of Avila received quite a few extraordinary uh, favors, uh, even 
locutions and, and visions and so on, but those are not typical. John of the Cross says we should not expect those and we should not desire them at all. So and in the say- dark night of the Spirit, some people, there are, have been saints who experience and receive even physical uh, manifestations like the stigmata. So these things do happen, but John of the Cross says most of the time it, it is always interior. It, it is always hidden, and it, it, is, it is experienced uh, in the ordinary way as an incapacitation, a dying to self in order to leave self and be united with God uh, as 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 a as a uh, uh, really a response to God that that is that comes from our own powerlessness. And we're looking in faith, expectant faith, right? Yes, faith and hope. Yes. You use the word ordinary, and again, I want to go back and uh, caution our listeners that um, though this may be a challenging phase in the journey to God, everybody's called to a deeper, intimate relationship with our Lord, and the way that God works with every soul, we said earlier, is unique, which means he works with them in the context of their daily life, whatever that may be. Uh, you may be a school teacher. You may be a, uh, uh, an executive working in an office building. You might be a monk off in a, in a monastery. You may be uh, a, student. You know, a, a student, depending on uh, what your call in life is, which is consistent with what God has called you to, then... God works with you in those circumstances, and the people that he brings into your life and the challenges that he brings into your life all are sort of grist for the mill, if you will, that he can use in this process. You don't have to run away to a year-long retreat to uh, experience deeper intimacy with the Lord, nor do you have to be uh, hobbled away in a monastery in order to go through these trials and challenges. In fact, I might well argue that the very challenges that we face in life, though they in and of themselves are not representative of the dark night. They are the tools that God can use to perfect us. They are the, um, the, the, the very um, actions, if you will, that he can take on the soul in terms of bringing about that darkness, that trial, that sense of dependency, uh, that, that uh, um, infusion uh, of divine love. He can do all of that work right where we are in our everyday life. And that's an important message that we don't want to miss. I have a request. Um, John has a famous analogy about the log and the fire that he uses when he's speaking of the night of the Spirit. So, Deacon Jameson, would you mind talking to us about that a bit? Sure. It's an analogy that's that's very helpful uh, about what happens to uh, a log when you throw it in the fire. And uh, he says that um, there's a preparation, a purgation, sort of, that the log goes through before it can become a flame and become fully united with the fire. So he says the soul is purged and prepared for the union with God's love, just as the log of wood is prepared for transformation in the fire. So what happens to the log first? Well, the first stage is the dehumidification of the log. The log, all the water has to be, uh, you know, seared out of the log before it can catch fire. All the moisture has to be dispelled. All, all of that has to go out, and then the log will turn black and dark and ugly. And John of the Cross says, and and often it will even emit a bad odor. And this is analogous to what the soul goes through before... That's our impurities, right? Yes, all those impurities are are burning out of us. But finally, uh, once uh, that happens and the the log is properly prepared, then it will catch flame and it will burn, not with its own uh, fire, but the, the log will burn with the fire into which it's thrown. And so the soul, now, under this transformation, will burn... With God's own love, it will become a living flame of divine love. Mm. And that's a great lead into uh, next week's show, which we're going to talk about just quickly before um, we close out. We will be covering the living flame of love. And for those who Frances kept trying to console with her, <laughs> her uh, reiteration that this is leading somewhere very remarkable, yeah. very special, and someplace extraordinary for those who 
uh, endure these trials, those who place themselves through the three previous nights and then endure these trials. So there don't is, miss next week. <laughs> there, there is a wonderful uh, um, end coming, and John takes us through that. So that we will cover that next week. Before we uh, do conclude, though, I, I want to uh, just speak briefly about the uh, idea that John expresses of how this night is in and of itself a protection. And he describes it in two ways. It's both a protection for the soul and it's a protection against the enemy. And if you would, uh, Deacon Jameson, talk us through a little bit how this night becomes a protection against the enemy. Well, in one way, your desires are shut down. So God must remove from the soul all desire for everything that is not God. The soul must die to everything that is not God. That's not humanly possible, absolutely. But as we've said earlier, it is God who affects this. It, it is possible because God makes it happen. And he shuts our appetites down. He shuts our desires down. And he shuts the nat- natural operations of our, of our intellect down to the point where we are more secure because um, we, we are going now and desiring only this union with God, and that is what we want, and nothing else can satisfy us. Everything else seems empty. Everything else is just flat boring. So we, we really we lose taste for everything except the desire to enter more deeply into prayer. We should also point out, and John does um, as well, that um, just prior to this stage, and even in the early stages of it, we know that Satan will increase his attacks against the soul. And he tells the story, of, uh, again, of course, of Job, who God um, did uh, allow Satan to, uh, to bring a trial upon both uh, his uh, personal belongings, his material goods, and then even in his uh, physical body. And so... Um, God doesn't do this, again, to throw us as victims to the wolves, so to speak, but he knows that as he infuses the divine love and he enforces and strengthens the soul, that really the the enemy will be uh, casting uh, uh, empty blows on on that soul, and it'll do great damage. St. Teresa teaches us that a soul that reaches this state can do great damage to the kingdom of darkness, and of course, uh, as soldiers of Christ, it's one of the responsibilities that we fulfill here we do it even in our own darkness uh, we can become a soldier for christ and and as you say um, deacon jameson we're we're all able to overcome now things like vainglory and pride and presumption all those uh, um, uh, traps that we used to fall victim to in the earlier stages the earlier nights yes god overcomes them for us and that is an excellent point because this is not happening merely for the sake of the individual soul what is being formed here is an apostle, and this all happens for the sake of mission. And God bestows at this point in, in this dark night a particular mission that the person takes up and carries out as an apostle of Christ the rest of their lives. Yeah, and we could talk about, we won't, we don't have time, but it's a very good point about uh, the experience of uh, St. Paul, who of course went through an experience like this and uh, suffered the blindness, the dark night, if you will, uh, because he was called to a very special mission. And we said that it happens differently for everybody. For Paul, maybe in the course of a matter of months, certainly uh, just a few years when he was given the responsibility to become a great apostle. And for Teresa of Avila, as you've mentioned, uh, it took a little bit longer. But that was the mission that God had given them. Well, I want to close, as we do each week, or try to do each week, with uh, uh, a prayer and I want to thank uh, our guest this evening, uh, Deacon Tracy Jamison. Uh, thank you, uh, both uh, Deacon and Dr. Jamison, for your enlightening comments and opening the uh, teachings of St. John of the Cross to us here. Well, thank you, Mark, and thank you, Francis, for all your prayers and for your great example on how to cooperate and, and advance in the spiritual life. We look forward to having you back with us again. Sure. At this time, I'm going to have a closing prayer, and this is from Psalm 51. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, 
nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. O rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall ring out your goodness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. Thank you, Francis. Uh, again, a quick programming note. We're going to uh, next week cover the living flame of love, where John's going to explain to us what all of the difficulty we've just been through is leading to. Following that, we're going to have a program on the new Roman Missal. Uh, many of you know that the Roman Missal will be rolled out uh, completely here in the U.S. in November. And, of course, we want to uh, take a moment to cover some of uh, the implications of that and, and reflect on it in the context of Carmel. And then a little... Uh, uh, far-reaching but nonetheless important programming note in the month of October we'll be doing St. Therese of Lisieux I know uh, a very popular saint and uh, a popular saint for many of our listeners so I wanted to make that programming note that we'll be covering her of course her birthday her feast day if you will rather is on uh, 1 October and then we'll be covering her for the entire month of October well you've been listening again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria a Catholic voice in your home and we thank you and may God bless you